This is the Business Marketing and Finance Podcast. The podcast for all your business marketing and financial needs. Get insight from experienced professionals as they delve deep into their passions and share their knowledge each week with your host, Daryl James. Like to follow or learn more? You know what to do. Hit that subscribe button now. Welcome everyone to this week's BMF podcast. This is our Ask an Expert session. I'm your host, Dow James, and my next guest is one of the world's top business accelerators for entrepreneurs and leaders. Named as one of the top 10 business advisors in the UK by Enterprise Nation, he's the author of four best-selling books, contributor to both Forbes.com and Entrepreneur.com, keynote speaker and co-founder of multi-million dollar enterprise Dent Global. Welcome Daniel Priestley to the Business Marketing Finance Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, Daniel, can you tell us a bit about your journey, what it was like growing up and how you made the turning point to being the man who you are today? Yeah, I grew up in Australia and um, I grew up, uh, my, when I was growing up, my father was a school teacher and my mother was a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I remember from a very young age, about age 10, yeah. uh, getting excited by the idea of entrepreneurship. And what that looked like for me was doing things like car washes and, um, uh, you know, doing jobs yeah. for the neighbours and all that sort of thing. And then yeah. I started running garage sales where we would uh, get all the things that needed to be sold from my house and mm-hmm. from our neighbour's house and I would sell them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember I made about $300 oh, nice. uh, when I was 10 years old. Nice. Which was enough for a BMX, yeah. uh, a Sega Master System. Yeah. I mean, I was uh, I was pretty... Uh, I was pretty flush when, yeah. uh, <laughs> for a 10 year old, I was definitely, <laughs> um, definitely. Anyway, when I was 19, I ended up getting a really wonderful mentor, a uh, guy mm-hmm. who took me into his startup. Um, we, uh, we went and we launched, we went from zero to $7 million a year in the first two years. Nice. Um, we went from just the three of us around a table to 60 employees, wow. uh, in the offices. Yeah. Um, so I had a very real experience from age 19 to 22 or 21, yeah. um, a very, very real experience of what it's like to start a business and grow a business rapidly. Uh-huh. When I was 21, 22, I launched my own company. I went out on my own yeah. and um, I launched a business that became a, uh, a multi-million dollar business in, in its first year. Uh-huh. And uh, so we did $1.3 million in, the, in year one and then we did grew it up over $10 million in sales within three years. So... Um, it was a very fast growth yeah. business. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that you started at the age of 21. Now, you know, as I can only understand that at 21, you might have had a lot of different ideas and different thoughts about what you might want to do with your life. What was your mission and outset when starting your business? Um, well, basically, when I was working for my mentor, I had um, generated a side business within the business that did about 600, dollars $700,000 worth of sales. Yeah. Um, it made $175,000 profit for the company. Wow. Um, and, uh, my, my boss, my, my mentor only gave me a $500 bonus and, um, I was wow. really annoyed by that. So yeah. I guess when I started the company, I just wanted to prove that I could do it on my own. I wanted to prove that I could uh, make some, make some money, yeah. Yeah. um, have some freedom. Yeah. Um, I rented a, a big four-story town townhouse when I was 21 and yeah. um, I employed people and we lived and worked all in this one big house. Wow. And it was just about having fun and making lots of money. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and at that stage, it was just um, it was pretty simple, really. All the same things that a 22-year-old wants. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I set up the business in three cities, Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So I traveled a lot and, um, yeah, it was just about having fun and making money at that point. Did you still have a uh, business mentor at this point or did you, what, what you left? Yeah, I had, a, I, had a, I had a bit of a different mentor at the time. So, okay. um, when I set up the company, I put on a guy who was the kind of effectively the chairman of the business. And he was a, a guy in his 60s, early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, who mm-hmm. um, who kind of like was our, our coach, mentor, chairman yeah. um, and speaker. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah so, so I did, I've always had um, someone around, I've always had someone around me who kind of coaches me, mentors me. Uh, teaches me how to do things. Yeah, because I know that once you start the entrepreneurial journey, it's never usually a straight line. Did you know no. what you were doing every step of the way or were the days that you felt like, you know, I have to deviate from this strategy or completely change what I'm doing? I knew what I was doing for the first couple of years because I was just copying what I'd seen uh, my mentor do. So it was a very simple business back then. Um, yeah. I would run and I ran a quarter page ad in the newspaper on a Sunday. Yeah, um, That would generate about 100 leads. We would invite those people to a uh, introduction event on a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, people would about 60, 70 people would turn up, mm-hmm. and then we'd um, we'd have a two thousand two hundred and fifty dollar product or package that we would sell. Yeah, um, and we would sell about ten to fifteen of them. So, nice. roughly yeah. speaking, we'd do about you know twenty five grand um, per week. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was just simple. You run an ad on a Sunday and run an event on a Wednesday and yeah. make your sales and do sales follow up. Yeah. Um, but as the business got bigger and more complex, yeah, it was absolutely it was it was having to learn a lot, having to figure things out, having to yeah. um, ad- adopt uh, different strategies. And then, mind you, when I started my business, it was all about newspaper advertising, and then we had to become a more online business. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm kind of like of the age where I can remember. Uh, where most businesses didn't have a website and then, mm-hmm. you know, you had to get a website and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. And was this event free? I'm assuming it was free and then, you you know, they went through the funnel. Is that how it, it was? They, yeah? It was very, it was very simple. So we ran, we ran, it was a financial planning and training package mm-hmm. um, that we basically partnered with. So we found a company that was very good at what they did, but they were very bad at marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, we will send you clients. We'll, we'll actually develop the whole marketing and sales funnel and, and front end for you. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we'd, we did a 70-30 split. So we would take 70%, they would take 30%. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and we took all the costs on to, to do the front end. Yeah. So um, basically uh, we ran an ad in the paper and the mm-hmm. paper, I think the headline was uh, feeling crabby watching your investments move sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would have a attend this um, attend this training event on yeah. Wednesday night. So it was two hour training. And then at the end of that, it was like, would you like us to do more training and also more support? The package yeah. is 2,250. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's all the things that are included. Yeah. And then yeah. Essentially, out of about 70 people, seven would sign up on the spot and seven would come through over the phone the yeah, following yeah. week. So within the newspaper ad that you was doing, I'm, I'm assuming that you was targeting certain types of uh, uh, audience like that when you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because in those days, you couldn't really target. You just stuck yeah. that in the newspaper. The newspaper would go out to like 1.5 million people mm-hmm. and hopefully 70 people out of 1.5 million would, would respond. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, a, n- a normal cost per lead back then was over a hundred dollars. Wow! Lead. 
Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I think it's hilarious. So many people these days, they're like, oh, you know, it's really expensive to generate leads. And it's like, oh, how much is it? It's like, <laughs> oh, it's 12 pounds. Yeah, yeah. It's like 12 pounds is cheap. Yeah, yeah. Now, in, in your first book, uh, Key Person of Influence, you say that hard work isn't enough. We must become KPIs in our industry. Can you yeah. explain to the audience how you help individuals become KPIs in whichever industry they are currently in? Well, for starters, the you know that first business, um, yeah. it only worked because we had a key person of influence who was the speaker at the event. Mm-hmm. That's why people showed up in the first place. We hired someone who was a very well-known, yeah. well-respected person to come and speak every Wednesday night. Yes. Um, so... You know, so we had we had key people of influence around the business. All my businesses have revolved around having a key person of influence. Mm. So, you know, it's kind of like if Richard Branson is involved in a business, then it, you know yeah. everything happens from there. The funding will happen, the Definitely. talent will yeah. happen, the brand will happen, the media will get interested. Yeah. Um, and it could be the exact same business that somebody else does, yeah. uh, but no one's interested because it's not Richard Branson. So you got to, yeah. you know, yeah. this idea that the whole world revolves around, you know, all, all industries revolve around key people of influence. So, yeah. um, so the thing with a key person of influence is that they're the person who evangelizes the business. They, they get out there and they talk positively about the business mm-hmm. um, and they don't necessarily work in the business. So you don't mm-hmm. expect that Richard Branson, works mm. in the airline or he works in the yeah. credit cards or any of that sort of stuff. His job is to be out there being the brand. Yeah. And there's yeah. there's five things that we get people to focus on. So mm-hmm. typically we work with people who have been doing what they've been doing for 10 years plus. Yeah. Um, and they're very good at working in the business and looking after clients, but we get them out of their business mm-hmm. and we get them pitching, mm-hmm. um, which is a really powerful way to, you know, drive um, interest to the business. So being out there and doing high level pitches, um, we get them publishing content Mm -hmm. uh, so that they're putting out, you know, articles, blogs, reports, books, that sort of thing. Uh, We get them to think in terms of products rather than services, like thinking in how do they have a scalable product that anyone could deliver versus selling their own time for money. Um, We get them to raise their profile. Mm-hmm. So that they get a little bit of media, they get social media, they you know they their name comes up well when you Google them, yeah. And uh, we get them to do strategic partnerships and alliances. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. by focusing on those five things, and we yeah. actually go through and do that with them and and make sure that it happens nicely. Yes. Um, by focusing on those five things, they move less about being you know a commoditized person who can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and who's doing the work to a key person of influence who's winning the work and who's winning the attention. Yeah. yeah. And um, and essentially, you know, we get them to play that role and then as soon as they're playing that role powerfully, yeah. you know, then they do really well. Oh, that's, that's great. So the five Ps that you just mentioned there, is this something that you do within your key person of influence workshops? Yeah, so we run an accelerator. It's about 12 months and yeah. um, over 12 months people... Um, focus heavily on those five P's. We we run training days. We run accountability groups. Mm-hmm. You know, we really put things together in a structured way so that people can get a breakthrough in each of those five P's. They can train mm-hmm. their team. Um, you know, they we give them templates. We give them resources. Mm-hmm. Um, we we give them um, access to you know a really great peer group that they can go and. and develop themselves alongside that peer group. Um, We put them into a group of over a 1,000 clients that have already been through this, so they instantly get a much better network to be networking with. 
Yeah. Um, so all of all of that happens on the key person of influence accelerator. Oh, that's really good. And how often do you run those? Uh, we do. We we operate in four cities around the world. Yeah. And um, we each city does two intakes a year of seventy entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So we have about about 140, 150 clients per year who do the key person of influence accelerator times by four cities. Oh wow! Okay, that sounds really good. What cities are they? I know you have London. So and we're in we're in London. We're in yeah. uh, Sydney and Brisbane. We've got yeah. Toronto. We've got Melbourne. Um, we do a little bit in Florida. Yeah, we've got four main cities. Oh, nice. When are you doing one again in Birmingham? <laughs> uh, well, we we did we did do an accelerator in Birmingham. It was yeah. hugely successful, and um, and it was you know brilliant to to. Uh, deliver it in Birmingham. Yeah. But what was interesting is that I think we did two, and mm-hmm. then at the end of doing two, um, the kind of like we had kind of hit the key entrepreneurs that we wanted to hit. Yeah. And then people just said, you know, well, we're willing to come to London, so we just mm-hmm. kind of run oh, it in London. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've found with Birmingham is um, the ambitious entrepreneurs—they come down to London pretty easily. Mm-hmm. They're not worried about that. Yeah. Um, very we need people who are ambitious. If they're not willing to jump on a train, yeah, for, yeah. you know, for an hour to get to to get to London, yeah, you know, the the funny thing is, I think if I was based in Birmingham, I would be personally focused on winning business in London and delivering it from Birmingham, yeah, because, yeah, because there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot higher budgets uh, in London, yes, but you can actually build a team in Birmingham more cheaply than you can in London, and actually, there's a really great profit margin to be made just by winning business in London and delivering business from Birmingham. In yeah. fact, I, I own a company where we um, we have an office in Milton Keynes mm-hmm. and we have 12 employees in Milton Keynes. This is a, a different business, a tech business. Yeah. And um, we have 12 employees in Milton Keynes uh, and um, and we, we win a lot of our business around the world. We have clients all over the world, but we deliver mm-hmm. from Milton Keynes and that's a smart, that's a good strategy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my businesses, I do the exactly same strategy um, where we get contracts from from everywhere, New York, down in Australia as well. We get quite a lot of business and um, we, we just based here in Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. smart thing is at the moment, the pound is weaker and weaker every month. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, for you know, every UK business should be thinking about finding clients overseas because yeah. it used to be that because the pound was so strong, mm-hmm. it used to be that, you know, to someone in the US or someone in Australia, it was expensive yeah, to work yeah. with a British company. Mm. Um, but now the pound is so weak, mm. uh, it's um, it's actually cheap. So a company in Sydney or in New York or um, in Singapore yeah. will actually find it incredibly cheap to work with a, uh, a UK company. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Now, in business, should someone focus on bringing in income for their business or developing assets? Well, obviously, you've got to have income. Um, you've got to, you know, you've got to live. You've got to pay yeah. your bills. But your income is determined by the assets of the business. Yeah. So imagine that you imagine that you inherited a twenty million pound property portfolio that you've mm-hmm. just got all this real estate. Like, let's say you own a building in Mayfair. Yeah. Well, if you own a building in Mayfair, you're never going to have any problem with income. Because mm-hmm. you can rent it, you can refinance it, you can yeah. maybe have you know the bottom floor as a restaurant, and you can have some offices on one floor, and you know, mm-hmm. you can maybe turn it into residential apartments. I mean, but 
the point is is that as long as you own that asset, there's yeah. never ever going to be a problem generating income. And it doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter if you're a complete nightmare alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you, you know, slip into a coma for a year. Yeah. Like if you if you own that asset, you are going to earn millions of you know, millions of pounds. Yeah. Um, so income follows assets. So the idea is is that when a business earns a million pounds a year, it's mm-hmm. because it has you know a lot of assets that people want. Um, and the, I see a lot of young entrepreneurs or early stage entrepreneurs. Yeah. They think that the way to make more money is to work harder or to hustle harder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be out there, you know, really hustling and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, think about it like this: if I hustle really, 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 really hard mm-hmm. as a black cab taxi driver, mm-hmm. well, okay, maybe I'll earn. Maybe a normal taxi driver earns forty thousand pounds a year, mm-hmm. and I, I decide to work extra time and I, you know, I'm willing to do weekends and all that. Well, maybe I'm going to earn 45 or 50,000 a year, but I'm yeah, not going to earn yeah. a million a year yeah, because, yeah. because I'm a black cab driver. Yeah, um, yeah. If, I'm, if I'm a um, window washer, window cleaner, and I've got mm-hmm. a bucket and a mop and I've got a, and a uh, you know, window cleaning equipment, you know, I can hustle and hustle and hustle and hustle, but I'm only mm-hmm. going to earn a few thousand pounds per month yeah, because, yeah. because I don't have a big asset. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is is that income follows assets. You can't I mean you have to hustle, but you have to hustle in the right way. Yeah. There's no just hustling doing more work. Yeah. Um the the hustle is that you have to work during the work hours between nine and five and yeah. generate and create assets during during uh uh the non work hours. So mm-hmm. what when Gary Vaynerchuk says go off and hustle, mm-hmm. what he should say is Hustle for income nine to five. Hustle for assets on the weekend and the evenings. Yeah, I do like that. That does make a lot of sense. Now, in terms of your work schedule and you hustling yourself, what's your work schedule like when you're writing your book? Well, for starters, I don't really work. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just create shit. Um, yeah. I just <laughs> create, and you know, my, I, my life is very much like I'm. I write books and yeah. I give talks. And, um, you know, hire amazing team members and I buy mm-hmm. and sell companies and um, I raise money for new ventures. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's funny. For me, none of that sounds like work. So I don't even think of myself as having a work schedule. Yeah, Some yeah. days I, you know, last week I did, I did absolutely nothing for three days of the mm-hmm. week last week. I didn't talk to anyone or I just hung out at the house. I've got three kids under five. Mm-hmm. So I spent time with the kids and, yes. you know, it wasn't a scheduled holiday or anything like that. I just didn't feel like doing much. So I just um, I just took some downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then sometimes I'll just intensely be uh, be focused on, like, getting some results that I want to get. Yeah, yeah. You know, recently I've been, you know, raising some money for a new venture that we're launching and we've just been uh, raising £300,000 as the seed capital mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to kind of, like, you know, grow it and, um, you know, from day one it's got a £2 million valuation mm-hmm. yeah. and, um, you know, and, and we're using that to hire some amazing talent and yeah. uh, incentivize them through some shares. So it's, good. It's, it's, it's hard for me to say that I have a work schedule. Yeah. I wake up early because I've got little kids but I don't do anything until about 9.30 because I've got to get the kids ready and yeah. um, I've got to then take half an hour just to recover from, you know, morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand that. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then, I, you know, I've got a PA and my yeah. PA, I, I tell my PA what 
I think is a high, the most high value activities. Yeah. And um, like, for example, one of the high value activities is doing podcasts because yeah. you know, that um, that's a great way to promote the books and, yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, just to get the message out there and, and then, you know, kind of um, be part of the entrepreneur community. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so my PA, Susie, she just puts into my diary the things that are high value and she tries to remove things that are low value. Yeah, yeah. And well, that sounds really good. Now, Daniel, you, you seem like you have a lot of strategy and a lot of business acumen. What are the top three books that you have made the most impact on your life and why? So this is going to sound funny, but the, the number one books that make the biggest impact on your life are not ones that you read, they're ones that you write. Like so, that. so of course, the, the biggest impact that my life had was when I wrote the book Key Person of Influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put that book into the marketplace. I was 29 years old. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't perfect. It had spelling mistakes. It had a paragraph that was repeated um, mm-hmm. you know, but I ended up, I fixed that. But what was amazing is that people started reading that and then they wanted to do some business with me and they loved the idea and we started generating media attention and mm-hmm. filling events and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, and that creation, that product, that book that I put out there, that had the biggest impact on my life, that changed my life. So the first rule that I would say for anyone Mm-hmm. is that it doesn't matter how many books you read or podcasts you listen to um, or, or YouTube videos you watch. None of that matters because it's all consuming. You're just consuming and consuming and consuming stuff. Yeah. You can't get rich by consuming. You have to create. So, you know, it doesn't matter what music uh, you know, Jay-Z listens to. Mm-hmm. What matters is what music he produces. Yeah. And, so it's great to get your inspiration. Of course, you've got to get your inspiration, but you can get your inspiration from anywhere. You can get your inspiration from your kids or from mm-hmm. a mentor or any of that sort of stuff. It's good to put good stuff in, and it's certainly good to put good stuff in versus bad stuff in. But yeah. I see too many people spending so much time worried about, like, I've got to watch this video and listen to this thing and I've got to, yeah. um, you know, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just consuming and it's like it doesn't matter what you consume. You've got to create stuff. You've got to put stuff out there, not, yeah. not put, you know, so it's all about creation, not consumption. Yeah. And the second thing I'd say is that the other thing I said, the other mistake I see people making is that they they try to read a new book every week mm-hmm. and they, they might hear Ty Lopez and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, Ty Lopez says that you've got to, Listen to you got to read fifty books a year. Well, that's yeah. because Ty Lopez is selling fifty books a year. He's trying that's to yeah. sell you on a book club. Yeah, right? yeah. he's trying to sell you on a book uh, service. You know, so that you're constantly consuming more and more books. Yeah, um, and that's how he owns a company called Mentor Box, which yeah. is him him trying to sell that idea. Mm-hmm. The truth is actually the truth is a bit boring, and it's it's kind of a little it's a little bit annoying and it's a little bit crap, mm-hmm. but you are much better off, much, much, much better off picking three or four good books mm-hmm. and reading them over and over and over again until you really absorb that information and, you, and you're acting upon it. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you got, if you got the book um, Principles by Ray Dalio, yeah. you could literally, you could read that book every month for the next 10 years and you wouldn't be doing everything with it. You would be uh-huh. still getting insights from that book. Uh-huh. Um, you could uh, take a book like, um, you, know, you could take a book like Oversubscribed, right? One of my books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
you know, I have people who write to me and they say, I've read that book five times and only now on the fifth read do I really understand what you're talking about and mm-hmm. now I'm running successful campaigns. Mm-hmm. And someone said, I read the book once and I ran an event with 10 people. I read the book twice. I ran an event with 100 people. I read the book three times, four times, five times. Now I'm running events with 500 people. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and they're like, you know, it took me five times to get it. So the big thing is, is that for anyone listening, You've, you know, you've probably already found a great book. Read it again. Read it oh, again and again. Oh. Think about a martial artist. A martial artist does not lo- learn a new move every time they do a class. They oh. learn the same moves over and over and over again. Bruce yeah. Lee said, Bruce Lee said, I do not fear the fighter who knows 10,000 kicks. Oh. I fear the guy who knows one kick but has practiced it 10,000 times. times. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's very good. What? I mean, I myself, I went through that stage. I went through a whole phase of consuming as much knowledge as possible, just trying to make myself get out of a situation. Um, and it wasn't until I started to create assets, you know, which is what you've been talking about, until when the income started to really generate. Um, although I had all this knowledge, um, you know, a lot of it, you know, you can forget. And then, like you mentioned, if you speak, if you listen to Ty Lopez and then you listen to another audio recording or you read a book by Zig Ziglar, they can take you into two different paths. And I found that and sometimes uh, be almost blown like the wind in what you're actually learning and the path that you're on. Why do you think entrepreneurs overlook their own story and insights? Well, the reason entrepreneurs overlook their own story and their own insights is because they're so close to it. Mm. So um, it's like an example. I'll give you, I'll give you a funny example. Yeah. My, my father-in-law, he has, in 1969, he bought, a, bought himself a Rolex Submariner. And at the time, it was only 300 pounds, and he was working in the oil and gas industry. And mm-hmm. for him, you know, it was the equivalent of maybe 1,500 pounds today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe two grand. But he bought himself a really nice Rolex Submariner in 1969, and, um, and uh, he started wearing it every single day of his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically, today, that watch is worth something between 15 and 20,000 pounds because it's a, a a vintage Rolex. It is yeah. a very rare 1969 uh, watch, yes. a Rolex, and you could sell that for, you know, maybe if you market it, maybe almost, you know, somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand. Yeah. But I, I say to him all the time, David, would you spend fifteen thousand on a watch right now? And he goes, No, no, no. I'd never spend fifteen thousand on a watch. Mm-hmm. I said, If you did have a fifteen thousand dollar watch, let's say you did spend fifteen grand on a watch, would you wear it while you're mowing the lawn? Would you wear it? While you're taking a shower, would you wear it? You know, mm-hmm. when you go on a holiday, walking around China, mm-hmm. uh, would, would you wear your fifteen thousand dollar watch if you mm-hmm. bought one for fifteen thousand? And he's like, "No, no, I would never do that." And I said, "Well, David, you are wearing a fifteen thousand dollar vintage yeah. Rolex, yeah. and and you're mowing the lawn, you're going on a holiday to China." He goes, "But it's not a fifteen thousand dollar watch; it's a three hundred pound watch." Yeah. <laughs> and I say to him, I say to him, you think it's a three hundred pound watch because you, you know, for you, you've had it your whole life. Yeah. But but to anyone else, it's worth fifteen thousand. Now, yeah. now it's the same with your story or someone's story. Mm-hmm. You might sit there and say, well, my story is not special. You know, I just you know, I just did this and I did that and I had to figure this out and you know that's not very special. That's a three hundred pound watch and it's yeah. like yeah. it's like actually your story is probably going to speak to a lot of people and it's probably going to be add, add value to people. And if you get good at telling a story, it's probably a massive asset yeah, that yeah. is just sitting there right there on your wrist yeah. and, you know, you're just not putting any value on it. 
Wow. Wow. I do. I love that story, actually. That's um, a really good way to put it. Do you, do you update your books um, as technology and the market changes, Daniel? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I just did the uh, revised edition of Entrepreneur Revolution mm-hmm. um, and I did 15,000 words worth of changes. And um, uh, I'm currently finishing off the revised edition of Oversubscribed. Okay. Um, which is uh, which is going to have about fifteen twenty thousand words. It's going to have more emphasis on data and funnels and mm-hmm. um, all of that sort of stuff. Making sure that people you know really can use it in the twenty twenties. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm writing a book called Doubling Speed, which is which is about using technology to rapidly double the size of business that you have over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just keep putting stuff out there. Um, it's normally based on whatever my thinking is at the time. When I wrote Entrepreneur Revolution, it was mm-hmm. about I was learning so much. I was capturing all the learnings from being a startup. And it, Entrepreneur Revolution is is really my book about going from zero to a million, um, you know, and, and just all of the mentoring that I got and what I needed to know in order to do that first million of sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then later on I was running campaigns and I was learning so much so I wrote oversubscribed and then I was positioning myself as a key person of influence in my industry and trying to decommoditize from the noise and I wrote key person of influence. All of my books are very much based around whatever I'm learning at the time and and because I've just gone on a journey, the books actually the books actually take you on a journey. So entrepreneur revolution, then key person of influence, then oversubscribed and then 24 assets um, takes you on on the journey of growing a business into the into the several millions. Yeah. And the next one is actually called Doubling Speed, which mm-hmm. will come out next year. Mm-hmm. And that's that's me going through the process of there comes a point in your business where you've actually um, figured a lot out. The business is working really well. Um, you've got a lot of great assets. You've mm-hmm. got a great team. And now the focus is not about like creating lots of innovation and creating lots of assets. It's about really taking those into new markets um, launching into different territories, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and and getting those into the hands of more people while also, you know, um, making um, updates and improvements and innovations, but not yeah. the same way you did in the, you know, from zero to five million, you've got to really figure things out. From five mm-hmm. to 50 million, you actually have figured out most of what you need and you now need to run a really tight ship yeah. uh, in order to go from five to 50 million. Yeah, yeah. What platforms do you currently sell your books on and why specifically those platforms? Uh, mostly Amazon and Audible. Mm-hmm. Um, Audible is now 50% of book sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so Audible is amazing. Everyone's loving, especially business books. People love listening to business books. Yeah. I think it's because people love to make the most of their commuting time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one thing I will say about consuming is that if there is a particular time of the day where you can't really be creating anything, yeah. but you can use that time productively mm-hmm. um, by listening, you know, listening to a really great book rather than just kind of like zoning out or playing a computer game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's a great time to be, you know, sort of consuming. But the only thing I would encourage is rather than consuming something different every day, yeah. try and try and go back and listen to something a second time or a third time, really get the learnings, try and really, really understand it deeply. Yeah. Um, to the point that you can implement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Audible. Audible is uh, is is where a lot of people. Some people are actually discovering my stuff on Blinkist. Blinkist okay. is where they do a book summary for like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, um, are you, have you tried Blinkist? No, no, no. I've not actually come across that. Yeah, it's just an app that basically does 10-minute book summaries. It's kind mm-hmm. of, I've found it's not a bad way. It's about 60 pounds for the year, mm-hmm. um, including all the different books that, uh, that they summarize. Mm-hmm. But um, I found it's a good way before reading a book, if I want, before I commit to the time of reading a whole book, yeah. It's kind of like for me, my first read of a book is now Blinkist. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if I if I really enjoy the Blink, um, yeah. then I will go and read the book in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And then I'll if I'm going to read a book once, I, I always look at a book and I think to myself, will I commit to reading this, you know, two, three, four times mm-hmm. so that I really get the learning? And if not, then it's just entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. On your journey, Daniel, what's the best way that you found to market your books? You mentioned the platforms that you're on. How, how are you marketing your books at the minute? The, the, there's something even better than marketing the books, um, in my opinion, which is just give them away. Mm. Um, so every year I give away thousands of books. Um, so I sponsor events using my books. Um, mm. I, um, you know, uh, when I speak at conferences, I package the books into the uh, into the speaking fee. Yeah, um, I love to give hundreds, not if not thousands, of books away. And the reason for that mm-hmm. is that it used to be that the author's job was to promote a book, and the mm-hmm. author should run around trying to sell the book. Mm-hmm. But now, I believe that the book's job is to sell the author. Mm-hmm. So, when you're a key person of influence and you've got products and services and companies and you've got other ways to make money, mm-hmm. then really you don't care too much about the book royalties. All mm-hmm. you care about is that the book builds your business. And then if you imagine, if you imagine that you have a perfect cup of coffee with someone, like you go out, you meet them at a coffee shop, and you sit down and you share with them, "This is what I do. These are the key ideas." Mm-hmm. These are the key insights and you have this amazing chat with them over a cup of coffee. Yeah. And at the end of that chat, they say, I want to do business with you. Like how do we work together? How do we do business? Mm-hmm. Well, that is essentially that's what a book does but at leverage. So mm-hmm. I can only have, let's say I can have, uh, you know, one random cup of coffee per day, let's say. Mm-hmm. And let's say I always made time in my day to have one random cup of coffee, coffee for an hour every day. So yeah. I can only really have five cups of coffee per week, 20 mm-hmm. per month. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, I could randomly go out and meet 20 people per month. Mm-hmm. But once I've got a book, I mean, um, I can just give away 500 copies per month. Mm-hmm. And if I give away 500 books per month, it's like me going off and having 500 cups of coffee. So lots and yeah. lots of random opportunities start coming my way. Yeah. Um, but here's the weird thing. The weirdest thing I've, I can't believe how this works. Mm-hmm. Every time I give away a thousand copies of the book, we sell four thousand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, um, so it turns out that I've been trying to give away books at yeah. speed, and the damn things keep selling. Yeah. I'm like, why are people buying them? I'm giving them away. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, um, and I tell people that I give them away. Uh, yeah. So, but it's it's just funny. Every the more the more books I give away, the, the more sell. Um, on average, we on average I checked my uh, Amazon account. Mm-hmm. On average, I sell a book every fifteen minutes, twenty four hours a day, twenty uh, three hundred sixty five nice. days a year. So, yeah, yeah. Four, four per hour every hour. Nice. Yeah. How many are selling? Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to give them away. Uh, yeah. I try and give hundreds <laughs> of books. You know, every every quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we print up about a thousand KPIs and about a thousand twenty-four assets, and I, give, mm-hmm. I I basically use them to 
you know, uh, I'll find an event that's got 200 people and I'll just make sure everyone's got a copy of the book. Yeah. Um, So I just do a lot of that. Oh, that sounds really good. I mean, I like the idea and the concept of your book, you know, selling you, selling the business. What has been the biggest hurdle for you in publishing your books, especially the first book? Um, Probably the first book was just not knowing how to go about it and just mm-hmm. not knowing how many, I didn't even, when I, when I went for the first book, I didn't even know how many words were in a book. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I now know that you need about 40,000 words to have mm-hmm. a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that became quite daunting. Do I have enough information? Do I have enough stories? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's pretty scary when you, when you discover that a book is 40,000 words mm-hmm. and then you've written everything that you think you can write. Yeah, and yeah. you you do the word count, and it's twelve thousand words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, oh no. Yeah, you know. Um, and then and then you sit down with an editor, and the editor says, look, you really need to go deep on this, and you need yeah. to go deep on this, and you need to explain the drawbacks of this. And then, you know, you go through the whole process, and you get to twenty thousand words, but then you realize, ah, oh, actually, I do have more to say. Mm-hmm. Um, finding time to write is also tricky. You know, people. Um, you know, you, you kind of, what's, what's tricky with writing is that normally you need, you need a good two to three hour chunk for writing. Yeah. Um, because it takes you the first hour just to kind of get into the flow of thinking mm. and then you don't want to stop at the end of an hour. So, you know, sometimes for me, I personally, I will, I will block out three or four hours for, mm. for writing. And I, w- I personally would rather do a three-hour, four-hour session once a week than try mm-hmm. and write an hour a day for every day. A lot of people say, oh, I just w- you know, I'll just do one hour a day every day. Yeah, for yeah. me, I found it's much better to do uh, three or four hours once or twice a week. Yeah, yeah, more of a, more of a chunk. That sounds a lot better as a, as a strategy. Now, what type of editors do you use? I mean, is it one specific company or do you use a bunch of different editors depending on the book? There's a, there's an amazing company which I'm now a shareholder in called Rethink Press, and the reason I became a shareholder was because I really love what they do. And mm-hmm. Rethink Press, see, I'm published by a traditional publisher called Wiley mm-hmm. for two of my books, and then two of my books I'm published through Rethink Press. Mm-hmm. And when you publish with a traditional publisher, you have to go through the whole process of you know convincing them that you're going to be able to sell lots of books mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to, you know, it takes about 18 months to get a book out when you work with a traditional publisher because they have a schedule of books that they're releasing. Even mm-hmm. if you submit your manuscript, it might be six to 12 months before it hits the shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, they still expect you to be the one to go and promote it. You know, they, they want you to be selling the book. They're not, their job is to produce the book. Your job is to sell it as far as they're concerned. Most authors think that the publisher is going to help them sell the book. And the publisher says, no, 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 your job is sell the book. Um, So um, Rethink Press, they can do the book fast. They've got editors. They've got ghostwriters if you need a ghostwriter. Everyone at Rethink Press has done at least 10, 15 years working in traditional publishing, so they know exactly how that works. Um, They know all the tricks for marketing the book, launching the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just, they're just so great. And then you can produce the book that you want to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, they can help you every step of the way and it can happen a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And can anybody sign up to Rethink Press? Any, yeah. Any? So right, like the, the thing with traditional publishers is they mm-hmm. give you an advance. And yeah. for a first time book author, the advance is pretty low. It might only be three or 4,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. They give you an advance on royalties. And basically all that means 
is that you still have to sell the books, but you don't get royalties on the first three or 4,000 because they've already been prepaid. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and essentially, um, essentially, when you work with a traditional publisher, your let's say your book uh, sells for ten pounds. Mm-hmm. Well, they will they, the the wholesale amount that they will sell to the author might be eight pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you actually, if you want to give away a thousand books, it costs you eight thousand pounds to give them away. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you work with Rethink Press, if you want to give away a thousand books, they'll give you an amazing like maybe two or three pounds. Um, yeah. Because they they see themselves as your partner and your supplier, mm-hmm. not as your publisher, who's you know who's kind of owns the rights to your book. Yeah, um, yeah. the similar thing that a lot of musicians have found. They found that you know traditional music music industry was mm-hmm. so wasteful and so slow and so inefficient. And actually, um, you hear these stories about um, bands that were given quarter of a million dollars to go and make an album, mm-hmm. and yeah. then at the end of year one. The music publisher comes back and says, "You owe us four hundred thousand pounds." And the band says, "But you already gave us quarter of a million. And they're like, "Yeah, but your album hasn't performed the way we thought it would, and we spent yeah. all this money on filming, filming this, and doing that. So you owe us four hundred grand." And then they have to do another album to try yeah. and pay off four hundred grand. And it's not as savage in the book publishing industry, but it is a little bit like that in the sense that you think you're getting a great deal with a book publisher. Mm-hmm. In reality, you know, they're a business and their job is to try and make as much money out of the book as possible. Mm-hmm. And their, their job is to make more money than the author. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas Rethink Press, you know, they get paid up front. So you'll pay them four and a half thousand pounds. So rather than them giving you an advance, you give them an advance. Mm-hmm. But then you own your own book and you can do what you like with it. And, um, you know, you're in a much better position. Yeah, um, yeah, and it would be like for anyone who wants to write a book. I promise you, it would be if you believe that that book is going to sell, you are going to be much better off, like finding a way to get your hands on the four and a half thousand and just just pay rethink press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna own the book. Yeah. Um, now, Daniel, if you could tell your younger self anything, what would it be? So, Daniel, at age before he started his, his entrepreneurial journey, getting 300 pounds uh, yeah. from his first venture. Uh, what would you tell yourself looking back now? Um, I'd say learn how to code and go start this thing called Facebook before 2004. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you don't do that, go and track down this guy called Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and then give him, give him 10 grand for, for, for 10%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, look, I... What would I say differently? Um, there's not a lot. I mean, there's not a lot differently. I'd, I mean, probably just mm-hmm. just acknowledge the value of your story, even when you're starting out. Acknowledge the value of youth. Acknowledge mm-hmm. the value of energy. Um, mm-hmm. Acknowledge the value of creativity. When you know nothing about an industry, acknowledge yeah. the value of knowing nothing. There is actually a huge value in in having a beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just it's just you know, be tuned into your value and then, um, you know, create, not consume is, mm. is a great lesson. You know, make sure that you're constantly creating, not consuming. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I would just, uh, you know, just, and also just an underlying sense of gratitude that, mm. um, you know, my eight year old self had no idea that, you know, a billion people don't have clean water and mm-hmm. four billion people don't really have, um, 
you know, decent living standards or li- living conditions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, shut up, never complain mm-hmm. and just get on, get on with doing the best you can to improve the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's that underlying sense of gratitude that, that I want my kids to have mm-hmm. that, you know, most, most people on this planet are not living, um, are not living a life that you would change places with them. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so I guess that would be one of the things, just just uh, that deeper awareness. of That would be pretty heavy to throw on an eight-year-old, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would. <laughs> Daniel, do you – well, I actually know you do. Um, you give to like, charity and um, different causes and organisations. Is there yeah, anything we, you want to – uh, yeah, we do lots of fundraising, lots and lots of fundraising. I, I I fundraise for things that I think I love. My favorite thing to fundraise for is anything where they're doing something really clever and innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, so Charity Water came up with an amazing way for for solving clean water and and um, creating wells in the developing mm-hmm. world. Um, the Hunger Project had an amazing, incredible way of uh, setting up community centers that would take thousands of people out of hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, when I see um, these kind of charities that are cleaning up um, rivers and estuaries because that stops plastic ending up in the oceans, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm always looking for something clever. And when I get excited by something clever, and when I see someone who's you know doing something really amazing, yeah. then um, you know, then we get behind them. Yeah, that brings me nice into my next question. Actually, what is the vision of Daniel Priestley? What gets you the most excited about the years ahead? Well, so for me, it's about getting entrepreneurs to align to the United Nations global goals to mm-hmm. get, I want to get tens of thousands of entrepreneurs to use their business as a force for good. Mm-hmm. So my belief is that entrepreneurship is great because it scales. And if, mm-hmm. you can find a, if you can find a solution to a problem, mm-hmm. then you can scale that. And, you know, in year one, you might help a thousand people, then 10,000 people, then a hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of a scalable solution. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I believe that entrepreneurship in the 1900s was about solving problems of consumption and consumerism, mm-hmm. but entrepreneurship in the, in the 2000s is about solving the problems of the world and society and mm-hmm. actually using entrepreneurship as a massive force for good. So taking all the best lessons from entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and using those to solve the world's most meaningful problems. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's about inspiring entrepreneurs to solve more meaningful problems. Okay, that sounds really good. What's what's next for Dent Global? Uh, well, we're we're launching in Canada, um, so we're just getting set up to to do our um, our uh, Toronto launch, mm-hmm. and um, you know we just keep opening cities and engaging different uh, entrepreneurs. We've got a ventures arm of the business where we're actually taking stakes in businesses that we think are very um, uh, exciting, uh, scalable aligned to values, all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and um, I'm launching a tech company um, which is uh, helping to get small businesses using uh, data-driven approaches to marketing mm-hmm. more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like we're in this phase of just we've found the formula, we've found what works, um, we've got phenomenally happy clients um, who love what we do, so it's just about scaling it up to more people. That's good. Finally, Daniel, where can people connect with you for a consultation or your workshops? What are the media links, uh, your website, your out address and, and so forth? Yeah, so, so if they want to connect with me on social media, um, like Twitter at Daniel Priestley or um, Instagram, I'm quite active. LinkedIn, I'm active. 
Um, and then uh, dent.global is our website. And then, you know, there's events that we run. There's online scorecards you can take to, to score your business. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of free reports on there that shows the research behind the entrepreneur journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just click and download those. They're just under the published content section. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, that's really, uh, really powerful. That's really good. When is your next um, event in London? Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some really cool stuff coming up. 10th of October, 10th yeah. of the 10th, we're going to have a look at um, uh, Own Your Business, Own Your Life, and we're going to have, uh, looks like, provided I can do the deal, and it's yeah. looking pretty good, we're going to have a billionaire, a young billionaire guy who's under 40, sold his last company for $900 million and sold the company before that for $160 million, and he's wow. just raised raise money for a 300 million valuation company. Yeah. Um, he's going to come and share about how to think big in 2020. Nice. Um, and then we're also going to have a guy who is an athlete who got hit by a car and um, almost killed. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's on the, on the rebound. He's, um, he's putting his life back together. Mm-hmm. He's going to talk about the mindset of coming back from a challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he wrote it before his accident. He wrote a book called own your life. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's actually going to share some of the key lessons and how it, how it relates to um, bouncing back. Yeah. Wow. And that's the 10th of the 10th, you, you said. Tenth of the, that'll be the 10th of the 10th. Fantastic. Definitely. And that's all, 10, 20, that information is going to be on your, on the website? On all on the website. Yeah. But our events do sell out pretty quick. They're, they're, we normally have um, waiting lists for people who like want to know when the events are coming and, and it sells yeah. out pretty quick. So you got to just jump on and, yeah. and get a ticket because in most of those events they only have 200 tickets wow wow well daniel thank you very much for your time thank you for the wisdom that you shared on this call it's been really insightful um i've enjoyed this podcast very much um once again thank you thank you for having me on the and giving me uh giving me part of your platform thank you yeah thanks daniel everybody this has been the business marketing finance podcast i'm your host Daryl james we'll see you next week this is the business marketing and finance podcast the podcast for all your business marketing and financial needs get insight from experienced professionals as they delve deep into their passions and share their knowledge each week with your host daryl james like to follow or learn more you know what to do hit that subscribe button now